What's up, everybody? This is a very special episode of We Are One, You Are Two, a PlayStation and video game podcast. Uh, this is our developer interview episode. Uh, we've been doing these recently. I know. I'm your host, Rob Fanzo, joined once again by Matt Rhodes. Hey, oh. Uh, we're just going to cut straight to the chase today. We've got an awesome interview with a Kickstarter project, Project Sense, and we've got the developer himself here, uh, Ben Widdowson. And so we're going to go ahead and talk to him. Uh, so we're just going to cut over to that and uh, let you guys enjoy. Uh, we're super excited today. We have... Uh, ben or Benjamin Widdowson. I should have asked you beforehand. You prefer Ben or Benjamin? Uh, ben is fine. Ben is fine. Ben is fine. Okay, great. Uh, we have him with us here today. And so we're going to talk a little bit about his game project, Sense. It is a cyberpunk ghost story. So, uh, Ben, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, happy to do it. So, uh, I guess really, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit off air about this. Uh, you've got a Kickstarter currently going on. Uh, but before we get into all of that, why we always like to get to know our developers a little bit. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, this is, I think, is this your first game? Um, and if it is, you know, what, what made you decide to leap into trying trying this out? Um, how long have you been working on this? Uh, what made you switch career tracks from where you were before? I know there's a bunch of questions, but, um, you know, we're kind of curious to know a little bit about you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Um I've actually got a, kind of a, a wild, wild ride of a story for the past couple of years. Um, so I, uh, I've always wanted to be in, in game development uh, since I was a little kid. I got, uh, I was five when I got Mega Man Five for the Game Boy and uh, Ninja Gaiden on uh, NES. And I think like looking through the books, that was kind of the the instant that I, I knew like, oh, I, I want to make characters for video games. That was the only thing I ever really knew I, I absolutely wanted to do. Um, I ended up going to Savannah College of Art and Design and uh, graduated in 2010 um, with a BFA in, in illustration that was completely useless um, <laughs> and uh, spent the last, you know, 10, almost, you know, getting close to 10 years now, just uh, doing, doing my best to, to break in. Um, it's, it's been an odd experience. Uh, the game industry, the AAA game, game industry in particular is, is, uh, unhealthy. Maybe is a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> I would agree with that. I agree with that. It's difficult. It's really hard to break in. And, you know, I've got, I've got friends in, in high places in concept art and, uh, lots of friends like me that are in low places and can't get in at all. And, and it was just, uh, it was rough. So, you know, I was, I was, ended, I worked on a lot of, um, projects that never came to fruition. I, I did, I did stuff with a big publisher that ended up getting canceled and, and de destroyed. And, you know, and then, and that, of course you can't use that in your resume, but why would you be no, able to? No. Um, so <laughs> I moved, uh, I, I, I ended up living in Seattle for about five years. Uh, that's where I met my, my wife and, and, um, I worked for a studio called daily magic productions. They were part of I guess not part of they're, they're, they were contracted out by big fish games to make the, the hidden object, uh, puzzle adventure titles. Oh, okay. So I, I worked on, I worked with them for about a little over four years, good experience. And, uh, I, 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 you know, became very close with the, the CEO of that company and, um, learned a lot there. I ended up within maybe a year or so of working there at first, I was just doing kind of cleanup, like art cleanup stuff. And, um, within about a year I was doing handling 30, 40 concepts a month for their environments, for the locations in the game. And, uh, then within a couple of weeks of doing that, 
I ended up being put into positions to write the games. So over those about three and a half years, I, I wrote close to 16 of the titles, um, all the core narrative and stuff, and, and was was very involved in the in the process of creating those games and um, kind of like you know, dulled my teeth there, I guess you could say. You know, I, I really I bit off a lot more than than I thought I would be able to and did pretty well. And um, they recently decided to not cut ties with big fish, but, but definitely be done with them um, and move on and do their own thing. So it wasn't like a, a negative. It was, it was more of them deciding we wanted to go somewhere else. And w- when that happens, you know, when you, when you stop working with a big publisher that, that gives you a set amount of money to make a certain amount of games, some downsizing ha- has to happen. And I was the only American person working at the studio. Everybody else was over in uh, Kaliningrad, Russia or the Ukraine. Oh, wow. You know, my, my four years of experience was, not not the right kind of experience for, I, I guess, the AAA industry out here because, you know, they're very uh, team oriented and they, they want to see people that, you know, not not just match them stylistically or or thematically. You know, you, you have to have that team dynamic with a lot of these places. I, that's that's what I've been told. And it was it was really difficult to get get a position. So after uh, after I got laid off last May. I, I spent a, a solid three or four weeks whining about it to my my wife, who at the time was in Hong Kong uh, with uh, with her family, and uh, she told me to shut up and just make a game. So <laughs> I I did, and that's where Sense was kind of born. There, I'd been working on the IP um, for five years, about five years at that point, and now it's close to six years. Um, so the whole world that that sense takes place in is something I've been developing for a really long time. I'm, I'm, it's, it's my own little pocket thing. And, and I didn't have a good excuse why I shouldn't be developing a game and I was broke and, uh, Kay, my, my wife had been saving up money at the time for, for all kinds of things, just the future. And, and she just said, here's six months of free rent, do it and shut up and stop whining about it. And then I did it. And, uh, did everything myself for the first build. We went to Kickstarter in November and failed and uh, learned a lot. So then we got a, be- a good, better coder and uh, tried again. And I think that, and this time we, we, we did a much better job. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the, the story so far, I guess, uh, the, the very brass tax version of it. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I know layoffs are pretty common, I mean, in the industry. And, and that's something you hear a lot about, especially even just from the AAA developers, let alone um, anybody else that's even smaller than that. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare. It's, it, it can be, it can, you know, it just, you can, you can either pull out of it and, and get somewhere real good and, and, you know, be one of those big names that makes a lot of money or, you know, your, your life is, is kind of a mess. And I, I know a lot of people that gave up just, and I, I'm just too dumb to give up. <laughs> I think I'm just, I, I know what I want and, and I, I just can't, you know, I, I'm from, from countryside Pennsylvania. So I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not these soft LA kids out here, you know, <laughs> you know what? You say countryside Pennsylvania, Matt and I are both from PA. Oh, really? Um, yeah, where at? Uh, well, I grew up in Hanover, Pennsylvania, and I, I did, in fact, work at the Utz factory in the summers. Um, and then um, I, I, my parents now live in, in out in Carlisle, so so nice. southwestern Pennsylvania. That's uh, I hate to say, born and bred, but but the older I get and the more I'm around big city, the more I'm like I, I kind of miss it. I like it a lot. So that's that's funny. Yeah, I mean, we're from uh, we're both from the southwest PA area too, outside of Pittsburgh. So okay, so yeah, we're we're actually pretty close to each other then when, when I'm visiting home. So it's, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm not one of these city, city folk. I guess you could say it's a good, good way to put it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that though. No, no, no I, I prefer it. <laughs> for sure. Uh, can uh, touch on a little bit on, uh, you, you've talked about your 
were part of the writing staff for, for those games. Uh, how did that kind of help uh, with what you're doing now? Uh, tremendously, actually, because I'm I'm a horror fanboy, uh, more particularly into you know Japanese and Asian horror and and very old ghost story kind of stuff. And that studio we worked at was particularly, I mean, their their main their bread and butter were the horror games for Big Fish. So it was always uh, it was a lot of exercise in trying to make my ideas work within the game genre and then work for the audience too. Because I don't know if, if you guys are aware, but the Hoppa games are the the general market for them is is women aged like thirty five to sixty. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's always really difficult because you'll have busybody old ladies that are, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean just right. as a matter of fact, the, that they hate everything and they want everything changed. But then when you change something, they're still mad. And then you have the women that are just kind of happy with anything. So it was always really difficult to find kind of this balance of good critique and good feedback and then writing a good story because you can't also go too deep into certain subjects. You know, they, they don't like hyper violence. They don't like gore. They don't like, but then at the same time, games that do that, that take those risks tend to do very well. So it's kind of, it was a weird market and it actually kind of, it was really good training for me to figure out because I've I've always been a writer. I've always been a, a, you know, pretty solid creative writer and, and it's, I've always enjoyed doing it. And, uh, you know, you don't spend five years writing a, a massive universe without enjoying it to some degree. And yeah, without living in it, it was, it was helpful. It was, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I wish, I wish things would have been a little different before I was, you know, had was, was laid off or, you know, I, but in the end, I, I got so much out of that job that I, I'm really thankful to, uh, Mariano over at daily magic and, and, uh, those experiences. Cause it, it was, it was a, a big help and I, I can't like, uh, quantify the specifics of which things work better. It's just, it's one of those things you spend four years writing for a market you don't understand or like, and then you learn, <laughs> you learn a lot, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned, cool. you mentioned the market. Um, what would you say is the demographic of the market you're kind of shooting for with, with sense? Well, um, it's been a little contentious. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, the first, I don't know if you guys, uh, how long you've, you've know, you know, seen our game or anything, um, or, how much, uh, the first time we got some solid feedback on, on some jiggly aspects that, you know, uh, I, I'm an old school gamer. I would say, yeah. uh, I, I love Masamune Shiro is my hero is my art hero. Um, everything he's ever done. I, I have all, all of the books, you know, all of the manga I have, I have every very rare novel of the, the, the light novels of ghost in the shell. They're, and I've collected these things over years. I'm a huge fan of his. So I've always really respected guys who, and girls, who can go, <laughs> yes, here's a very serious story, but also here's some really nice boobs. So I, I always, I, I knew that when I made my game, and I, I've been watching the, it's called a battlefield, the, you know, the, the current battlefield of, of the, the gaming industry and, and where things are going visually. And it's all very safe and boring. And in mm-hmm. my opinion, um, I would agree. And, and I get, it gets old and it's, you know, you see games like near automata or the Japanese guys really picking up steam and doing things that people want. And it's being successful. I knew that in my heart, cause those are the games I buy. I, I love Senran Kagura. I love, uh, you know, I love near automata. I, I like these, I like ridiculous over the top games that are just fun. 
you're you're preaching to the choir here because I tell Matt all the time. I I pretty much beat his head in last year telling him how badly I needed him to play near Automata so that we could talk so about good. it because I had no one to talk to about it. It yeah, was just was a fantastic say, game. Don't mention that again because he'll just get <laughs> more and more excited over this uh, interview. Well, and and good. I'm glad because it's 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 guys like you and me and and girls too because you know my I can't I can't discount enough how much feedback my wife she's from Hong Kong so the game you know has a lot of Hong Kong influence but she's yeah. she's always here being like I think about this do this so it's 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 been a two person effort really and you know I'm I'm hundred percent of the art but she's uh, she's really pushed in the right directions and it's it's nice to be going okay. If I put this character design in the game or this costume, I'm I'm facing down a potential backlash <laughs> or yeah. a potential problem. And then her to go, so what? Do it. And I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. I mean, she's she's the little voice in my head that I always had, but it, she's actually saying it out loud. So it's you know, I'm I, that's the the market I want is the is people like me, people that that grew up with the classic games. They like, you know, big, muscly, awesome dudes and really sexy women and, you know, just fun, just Give me Conan the Barbarian and I'll, I'll have a field day. And, but if you if you give me, you know, super safe, predictable thing that they're probably going to announce at E3 this year, I'm probably going to be really annoyed <laughs> and not buy it. Well, it's nice to have. Uh, it's definitely nice to have that. Uh, no matter how many backers you have on Kickstarter, it's nice to have that personal backer at the in home. Right. Yeah. It's always funny when I, you know, some of the, the negative feedback I've, I've gotten has been like, oh, typical male doing this male thing. And then I just kind of look at my wife. And I start laughing because it's like <laughs> I got permission. Damn it. Right. She said it's okay. she, she told me to do it. Yeah, it's it's if I and I wish I could just take a picture of her and, and be I just post her every time. But she said no to that. So yeah, right. <laughs> there's got to be a line somewhere, I guess. Right? Yeah, she she doesn't want to reveal herself yet. So. Now, you said uh, she's from Hong Kong, and uh, that's part of the influence of the game itself. Uh, has she helped with the writing of it, or is that mainly you? Was there, like, a little bit of her influence? Or? So the writing is 100% me. Um, I, I had kind of written the story, and I think I, I, I might have alluded to it in a post prior, um, that the game actually was originally just about Japan. And it was it was still cyberpunk. It was still the future, but it was about like Neo Tokyo and it got very derivative. Um, and it was that thing where I, I spent so long, like agonizing on how to not make it just, you know, Jew on the grudge or, or the ring, uh, you know, done as a point and click kind of adventure game that when she told me, which she, she was basically just like, why not Hong Kong? You know, why not Cantonese stuff or Chinese stuff? And I was like, because it's dumb. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, it, we started talking about it more and she started telling me about these, you know, specifically Hong Kong horror story things. And I, I've always liked Hong Kong movies and, and cinema. Um, so I kind of I had a little bit of an idea. You, you know, you had some of the Gordon Liu movies, but you, you guys are probably familiar with the Zhang Shi, the hop, hopping vampire. Um, you know, the, the guys with the talisman on the forehead, uh, may, uh, from Overwatch, her Halloween costume last year was that, and, and that's a very old, ancient Chinese thing that is more prevalent in Hong Kong culture than Chinese, surprisingly. Hmm. Um, so she showed me all these things and these, these, like, there's these, this voodoo culture, this, these curses, a lot of the ghosts are very similar because they come, you know, Japanese, um, the yokai, the, the yurei and yokai come from. Yeah. A lot of them come from ancient Chinese stories or ancient Chinese ideas. So, and then m many of them obviously have their own Japanese specific thing. But the, the specifically the ghosts come come from ancient concepts that were brought over. So I saw these parallels and I was like, oh, okay, well, all the things I love about about Japanese horror I can achieve with the Chinese horror. But then I also get this really 
cool, unique thing that isn't being done. And uh, I had just visited Hong Kong for the first time two years ago when we started really talking about this. And I, I fell in love with the city. It, it, it's disgusting. It's dirty. It's hot. Um, there's too many people, but it's really cool. What <laughs> um, <laughs> a sales bitch. It, yeah. I, I highly, if you ever go, it's one of those things where if you're a German, if you're an autistic germaphobe like me, it is one of those things where you're kind of like, this is awful. But then when you go home, you're like, oh man, that was really cool. Actually, I want to go back. And then the second time I went back, I was actually, oh, you know, I, I really loved it. And I actually got to enjoy it that time more because I, I expected the things I wasn't, I was not ready for earlier. And, uh, you know, we're, we're planning to move there in a few months now because uh, some, some issues and we, we just decided, you know, it, it makes more sense to start the studio there and really like be surrounded in this every day while we're working on the game. Um, and yes, the Kickstarter being funded was a huge part of that decision where we were just like, she's from there. Immigration stuff is, is its own bag of inappropriate for right now conversation. And we were just like, <laughs> let's just do it. Let's go to Hong Kong and try this out. So um, we're, we're probably, we're going to be moving back there. And yeah, it was just that thing where I went this this is the way it's, it needs to be. And her growing up in that culture, ha, she's just shown me all of this stuff. But every, all of the research I try to do myself, she'll give me a direction. She'll tell me like the, the Chinese or, you know, she'll type out the actual like traditional Chinese text. And I'll have to figure out what these things are. She'll explain them from her point of view. And it gets this really um, this unique thing that, that just like a random Westerner who likes this stuff could never get because you get this perspective. Uh, I'm I'm a Japanophile to to a degree, and I, I love ancient Japan and and J Japanese like paranormal culture. So I really know it, and I've been there a number of times and researched this stuff. And I have good friends who are like big in the yokai and and yude, you know, kind of research community that can always help me. But I didn't know anything about Chinese and the Hong Kong culture. So her teaching me this stuff just it made it more exciting and it, it let me put these things in the game in a way that I don't think you could do if you were an expert on it. And I don't think you could do if you didn't have somebody explaining it to you from a firsthand perspective. Cool. Yeah. That's really cool to hear. So I guess maybe we can talk. I'm, I'm kind of curious a little bit about the Kickstarter because I noticed that, um, like you said, you, this is your second time through it and you learned a lot from, uh, from the first time I noticed that you've really put, or at least maybe, and maybe I'm just blinded by my, my love for PlayStation Vita and PlayStation, but uh, I've noticed you've pushed that a lot uh, for the digital release. Has that always been kind of a, a goal for the Kickstarter? I know you have that as your stretch goal, but has that always been kind of where you, I, I imagine yourself winding up or uh, naturally, I'm sure if you go beyond that, that's not a problem, but is that kind of where you were hoping all along to get if you made the initial, initial backing that you were shooting for? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, my, my, goal for years, I mean, has been to have a game on a PlayStation console. That was kind of like my, my measure of success and not in a bad way. Anybody can put a game on, on PC, right? Anybody can, can put a game on itch.io or, 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 you know, indie vault or any of those, those web stores and make it work. And, and you don't need a tremendous amount of early success to do that. You just have mm -hmm. to have a game and it can be good. It can be bad. I mean, we've, we've seen that on Steam. <laughs> you can have a lot of, you know, you can just put anything out you want. And so when that had, you know, a long time ago, that was a measure of success for me is saying, okay, if I get a game on steam, I'm, I've made it as things shifted. I went, well, that's not really, anybody can do that. So what, you know, everybody's got a game on steam. Who cares? Even though I always wanted that PlayStation game, I always wanted to, to have that on my shelf as this is my medal of honor, you know, but when PC publishing became easy and something everybody can do, I said, nope, this is, this is where I will not consider myself successful unless a game is being sold through these markets. And, uh, that was my thing. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a PlayStation fanboy. I do, I do have all the consoles. Um, and I do try to play everything I can just for research and for, for fun. PlayStation's kind of my, like my homeboy. So I, I knew I had to get it there. And 
we decided to do it as a stretch goal for a number of reasons. Um, if it was up to me, you know, just spitballing kind of thing, I, I probably would have just included PlayStation and, and at least digital PlayStation into the, the original goal. Mm-hmm. And we kind of did last time. Uh, we did launch back in October and we had an $18,000 goal, uh, which included a lot of dev costs that we knew was going to come. We didn't succeed. We only made about, we, we almost made it past $9,000. And then the night before we decided to give up, we had somebody drop drop their thousand dollar pledge so we were like you know what we're good <laughs> this is this isn't working uh you know we we made it two weeks in only getting seven thousand and i say that kind of douchily only getting seven thousand but you know it's like when your goal is 18 you, you, you got to get somewhere so it was that was kind of the idea we just went you know we talked about it we were about a week ahead a week away from the deadline and we all just realized like this isn't going to happen this time and most of it, you know, I, I take the brunt of that failure myself because it was me. It was mine. You know, every part of that game was mine and it just wasn't ready. And I was rushing and trying because, you know, I, my, my girlfriend, at the, she's my wife now, but she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and I did, I proposed to her the night before we launched, launched the Kickstarter. So I was like, <laughs> wow, I've got to do this for her. You know, she, she's given me so much. She's, she's, you know, I, I need to take care of her. This is, this is my, my time to, to do the right thing. And so I, I think I rushed it for a lot of emotional reasons and not smart reasons. And I was trying to get it out. I try, I just wanted to be successful. I, I had that pipe through my head of, Oh, we're going to hit like a hundred thousand dollars in a week. It's going to be awesome. And then the reality sets in and you go, okay, well, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I took about a solid two months off, not touching it. And just, uh, after, after we failed, I said, I told Joe our, our publisher at top hat, and Andy, um, Andy, Andy Hahn, who's the um, composer, co-composer for the Katawa Shoujo OST. He's, he's our composer too. Uh, I told them both. I was like, I need some time. <laughs> I've just got to take some time. Got to really rethink this. I started immediately looking for a new coder though. Nothing negative to say about our previous guy. It just didn't work out. He just, um, he couldn't devote the time that we needed to make things work. We decided to get the new guy. So I found the new guy whose name is Al Tan and he's awesome. After, as soon as I found him and got him, I was like, look, I'm just letting you know I want you on this team and we're going to you know, get you paid, but I need, a, I need a break. So I took the break, took some time, worked solely on you know, commissions and freelance stuff, and really just took time to think about where I wanted this project to go and how I could show the idea off to people the best, like how I could get people to understand what it is I'm trying to get them to, to fund. Because if it was just a point-and-click adventure game or a hidden object game, I've worked on those enough that I could make it by myself in you know, five months without any help and just put it out and then just do big fish. But I wanted something bigger and better and, and cooler. And I knew that that was where it had to go. So we put everything we had into it after that. Um, I worked my butt off. We got roommates to help pay the rent. We, <laughs> we've, we've done some, we've had, we've had a couple months that were, were pretty nuts and pretty, uh, pretty rough. And relaunching the Kickstarter was like this. I was, I was crapping my pants the whole the whole first day and then within 48 hours we got funded and it was just like oh thank god <laughs> like <laughs> this at least there's a future for this like it's not you know it's not necessarily enough money to to pay my rent i'm still gonna have to work it's not enough money to do right. all the things we want but it means that there's actually a future for the project so yeah that's, that's awesome super exciting now you talked about dev costs a little bit does sony charge you anything to list on their store or is that something that like has to be dealt with or like i have no idea of that aspect of it uh and i was just wondering if you did 
I do know. So that that's kind of the beauty and the, the best part about having this publisher. You know, I when when Top Hat reached out to me, I was pretty shocked because I was just posting stuff up on Twitter myself. Oh, I was going to ask you about Top Hat too, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're and the, the funny thing is they're mainly they mainly do like adult erotic games and visual novels and stuff. And I won't I won't dive too much into the my my disillusions with the AAA industry uh, and, and my but the reasons for my disillusion, but. It was that when they reached out to me, I was like, nobody else is going to reach out to me. And not that these guys are a last choice. I'd never heard of them before. And I was like, if they believe in this project, I'm willing to go with whoever believes with, believes in what I'm trying to do. Joe has been hyper supportive and, you know, a real a friend on this and, and is really pushed to make make it the best that he can. And he's also been, you know, Johnny on the spot with a lot of things. He gave me a stipend uh, to get me through the development of the demo uh, back in October to help me finish up some stuff that I wanted to. So he, you know, he was paying my bills for, for a couple of weeks and this time they, they couldn't necessarily do that this, the second time. Cause he, you know, he needs to have some kind of income on it. They're very small. Um, so when he came in, it was just great because I don't, I know, I know I have a pretty good head for business. I, I can tell when someone's lying to me, I can tell when, when I'm, I'm being, you know, taken for a ride, but, and like I said, you know, you guys probably know being from, from country, you, you don't take, you don't take BS. You just kind of, I don't want the flowery business talk. Just tell me what you, what you're going to give me and what I have to give you. And then we'll be done. And he was, he's like that. He gets it. So he, he got that. And, and he knew that I'm not the best person to be first of all, handling social media. <laughs> I'm the last person that should be handling social media. And I'm also the last person that should be doing some of this pre, you know, the, the early talk business stuff, because I don't care. I don't, I don't care what the over unders are. I'm just like, okay, how much do I get? How much do you get? What do I have to give you? When do I have to give it to you? Like, I just, I really just want the answers. And, and so he's really good at all this negotiating, being friendly with, with these business people things. Uh, and having him on board I, has been such a godsend because he's dealing with all of that stuff for me. So I can focus all of my energy on making the game and writing it and, and, you know, working on it. As far as the, the PlayStation stuff, I do know, um, kind of secondhand experience. Cause when I worked at daily magic, I did do a little bit of this stuff. I do know there's fees and I do know there are costs to it. Like they don't just let you throw it up on there. And, but I, what I don't know is how that's handled or, or what the actual n- numbers are. And I know it might, it's probably different for different types of things. So if you're like in the triple a section, I guarantee you there's, there's some ridiculous costs, oh, but sure. if you're in the oh, indie yeah. section, it's <laughs> like, Oh, you, it's a, it's a cut of the profit. It's like 30% or, or whatever the number is, you know? Right. And Sony themselves has been really good about indie developers. So I'm sure there's some kind of like leeway with that. Yeah. Joe, Joe made it pretty clear when I started talking to him about this, that getting it digitally on PlayStation, isn't going to be a problem. He says it's simple. It's, it's not particularly difficult. It, it, there are costs, but you know, it's, it's not a difficult thing. We just actually have to have the money aside to make sure that we can handle any kind of eventuality with it. Um, the other thing is, you know, with, you know, pe- people are really uh, asking us a lot about the, the physicals and we're, we're in talks with East Asia soft to handle that, but we just don't have an answer yet. And that was, that was kind of the thing. Like the, when I put these stretch goal versions for, you know, PS4 Vita and switch the $5,000 to me was to handle all those costs uh, like any kind of fees that would pop up to take care of any kind of development fees for us, like for testing and stuff, um, dev kits, things like that. And then also like a limited run of physicals. If we got to that point, just in case, um, because we just don't know, we, it, you could have everything scheduled and ready to go with, you know, Nintendo or Xbox or PlayStation, for example. And, and then all of a sudden they could be like, Oh no, we're not doing this because of X reason. You know, you don't, you don't meet this criteria. 
physicals are a harder thing. And I know Joe's been talking to these guys for a while. And it's uh, so if, if you guys, if anybody who's listening wants the physical version, just keep hammering East Asia soft <laughs> and let them know how bad you want it so that they are more inclined. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a good feeling, though. Joe, Joe seems to be kind of positive about it. I just don't know. I, and I know that it's going to cost money either way. So that, that's why we did the stretch goals, because it was just we, we wanted to have this chunk of change here for everything that could possibly go wrong to be taken care of. Yeah, that, that's that makes perfect sense. I know physicals, uh, digital seems to be on the rise, but I know a lot of people do love their physical copies. And I know even for myself with uh, Runer and Next Machina, I was super excited when uh, limited run games and uh, special reserve games put out, uh, well, tried to put out anyway for the past two weeks with Runer, the, the digital copy or the physical copy for sale. Yeah. They partnered up and, and did that. Because um, there's just some games I just love to have a physical thing of, so... Well, I, I'm a I'm a straight up collector, so I, I if it's digital only, if that's the only way to get it. You know, I'll I'll suck it up, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay for for physicals if I can afford it. And that that's like it just to me, it's not the same. I, maybe maybe because we're probably all about the same age, thirty thirty or so, and I'm I just I'm too old. I can't I can't stand the idea of not having it on a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something I've I've come to grips with with the PlayStation Four more than I have any other uh, console. I've, I've kind of dealt with a little bit better but yeah i'm I'm very much up until this point i've been very much about the physical copies i just i realize digital's slowly creeping into everything else and i i just can see uh with that sony reporting and other things we're reporting every year more and more how digital sales are increasing uh it's probably only a matter of time till it's a netflix like experience i guess thank you normies thank you for being part of the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else you maybe since you kind of talked about, you've talked a lot about the Kickstarter and the stretch goals. Uh, is there anything we need to know about the game itself uh, that, you know, people who are listening to this? Cause I, I know I, the moment I saw it and I saw cyberpunk ghost story, I, I didn't even need to read the rest of the page. Uh, that just appeals to me immediately. Uh, but is there anything we need to know about the game or do you want people to know who are maybe on the fence about what, backing it uh yeah sure like and and that was i'm glad i'm glad you say that because the the cyberpunk ghost story was the hook for me that was the thing where i was like i i know like i've been writing this world that i knew the paranormal existed into or existed in and and the question was how do i get people to be excited about this because originally it was just sense and then the chinese name that i can't pronounce (laughs) (laughs) oh so that's not sense below that's that's something totally different It, it does mean sense in, in the in the application that i wanted the english sense to be it's that that idea of you have that like gut feeling of something's wrong um so that that's the direct translation is like a foreboding feeling and so that's what the chinese means so i wanted that i wanted people to get that yeah so i'm really glad you did i'm, I'm glad that was the thing because to my knowledge and i've done a lot of research and, and i wanted to pin this down and i'm going to say it with a little bit of apprehension because like if somebody proves me wrong Okay, please. But this, as far as I'm aware, is the first legitimately supernatural horror cyberpunk anything. Like, there's been things that have supernatural elements. There's been things that have, like, a ghost in them. But there's never been something that was aimed specifically to be a supernatural horror story in a cyberpunk universe. So I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> you know, I, I actually get to say I'm doing something, you know, at least at least mostly unique. If, if I'm wrong, somebody tell me wrong. But I, I've done, you know, I, I spent a good month or two really looking into this and trying to find examples and was pretty much unable to. So that's definitely what I wanted. And, and to everybody who's on the fence, maybe you're looking at the large breasted women in, in, in the game and, and saying, is this like a hentai game or is it like, you know, just a, a pandering cash grab kind of thing? It is not. 
I promise you, if you've played the demo, you know that there is a relatively abrupt change that is hinted at early on in the demo. And then you get to that point where it's like, this is definitely a horror. So it's, I, it is, it is a love letter to the guys that made fatal frame. It is a love letter to, to, you know, team Ninja who I love. They're, they're my favorite developer. They did dead or alive and Ninja got in. Um, they're my huge biggest influences probably ga- on game development wise. Um, Tomasa Shiro, but it is absolutely a horror game and every part of the game will be horror. We are absolutely having the sexy elements. I'm not shying away from that because, you know, my favorite thing of the fatal frame games, other than the actual like story and spooky stuff is the costumes that you can unlock, especially fatal frame five that had the best ones. (laughs) Having that kind of lighthearted thing thrown in there for replayability is, is part of the fun. You know, you get, you can only be so tense (laughs) And yeah, seeing a girl running around in a bikini while being chased by a ghost just makes it a little better, but only if you've beaten the actual scary game once. So you won't be able to unlock that stuff until you get through the game once. I promise you that this is a straight horror game that just has a unique visual style. Yeah, that, that's my that's my little promise to everybody. I like that as a bonus content kind of a thing. Exactly. You know, you yeah. like that replayability, you know? Yeah, it's it's a reward for making it through the the stressfulness of of the the story and and I also will promise that there are there are multiple endings. Um, none of them will be happy. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> That's my type of game right there. Yeah. So like this is straight up. I mean, if if you know my my favorite ghost story of all time is Yotsuya Kairan, which is um, the story of Oiwa um, out of Yotsuya, Japan. That's not a happy ending. And there there's actually a little bit of a tie to that that real life ghost story and, and in, into sense in, in a lot of ways. So it's, I can't, I have to be really careful what I say. <laughs> this, yeah, this no is going to be, this please. is a, yeah, this is a straight up horror game. This is not going to leave you warm and fuzzy at the end, but once you beat it, there will be tons of unlockables. Uh, I can't promise how many, but I'm, I'm aiming for at least 12 unlockable costumes. Um, I'm really, I'm all about unlockables. I, that was my favorite thing of classic games is beating the game and getting something cool out of it. So there will be a minimum of three playthroughs to unlock everything. So it's, it's a, it's a straight up classic game and a classic horror game. So yeah, don't to the people worried that it's just going to be like boobies everywhere. I promise you it's not, that's a nice little bonus, but (laughs) it's it's not the whole thing. (laughs) That's awesome. Because I, I I think that's one of the things I appreciate about Yoko Taro and and Nier Tomino when I played it last year was, you know, without spoiling anything for anybody although that's a year old. I just, I loved, I loved some of the storylines and I loved some of the, just, there is no happiness here. There is nothing uh, necessarily positive that you get out of, out of this world. Exactly. That, that's kind of the thing is like, I, I never understood in the past, I, I want to say five years, but I know it's been a lot longer. In the past few years, we've had this kind of weird overarching iron fist rule where it's almost like you can't you can't any amount of sexiness or lewdness or tongue in cheekness destroys the whole product for people. And they say you can't have this because it's supposed to be a serious story or it's supposed to be this thing or, you know, we we as an industry have to be better. There were there's games from my lifetime. I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. It wasn't too long ago <laughs> where you could have these things. You know, you could have uh, fun with your games. There's Fatal Frame is the best example. You, they've had bikini costumes in every single one of them, and it's still regarded as pretty much inarguably the best horror game series out there. I mean, it's it's so good. It's so fundamentally well done that you just go, so what? You know, there's this aspect. You don't even have to get it but it's there. 
you know, you had action hack and slash games that are brilliant. Devil May Cry is just nothing but cheese factor. But then you can mm-hmm. actually look, pay attention to the story and be like, oh, there's actually this pretty badass story here. Like, that's just a s- solid action story. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I, I don't know when it's going to change or if it's going to change, but I hope I can be on the forefront of helping it change back. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think uh, sometimes people just take themselves a little a little too seriously with some of that stuff. I think that's a really actually really good way to put it. It's a lot of people in this industry and I, and I know a lot of them um, and, I, and I don't necessarily mean this in a bad way, but they, they definitely think of themselves as authors instead of just people that make fun things for a living. Like I try to, I try to remember not to take myself too seriously because ultimately my, my goal is to make a product that the most people possible can enjoy, but I want them to, uh, to enjoy the product I'm making, not a version that they want me to make. Like I want to show them, here's the, here's the hamburger I made. I hope you like it. You know, here's, here's my creation and I want them to like it. And I want as many people as possible to like it. And I want as many people as possible to buy my game. That'd be really nice. You'd be very much so helping me out with that. Thank you. <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, like you can't, if you, if you idea committee, everything into to death and to make, to make sure that every possible market is, is a hundred percent satisfied. You're not going to satisfy anybody. Nine times out of 10, people don't know what, what they're going to like. Mm-hmm. You have to show them cool things, especially things that haven't been done before. You have to show them like, this is what it can be. And they might not like everything, but they might like some things. Some people will like everything and some people will hate it no matter what. So I'd rather just go, here's my creation. Take it for what you will. Um, Corpse Party is a perfect example of that. I, I play every single Corpse Party game and I walk away from it feeling horrible like sick because i'm just like that was just so depressing and awful <laughs> but they're good and you you get sucked into that story and like you know when when a character gets their eye ripped out you're like oh my god but then you still go back and play every single time like nobody if you explain the story the idea of course party yeah a bunch of kids get trapped into a a hellish uh prison paranormal school uh and they're tortured and brutally murdered by the ghosts of children like that's that sounds pretty like nobody's going to be like that. I want that. I want that game. <laughs> it's just it's just like Dang and Rampa, right? Uh, right. Yeah. It's you, you have to show them why they want it. And yeah. you have to show them like how cool the, the thing can be for them to be like, oh, actually, that sounds awesome. So hopefully I'm doing the right things here. And, and you know, I'm, I'm trying. We're really, really trying to, to get it right. I don't know if I am. I'm, I'm kind of bad at that stuff. So we'll see. <laughs> Hence why I'm not allowed on social media, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm excited because like, you know, just uh, just hearing about your influences and the type of stuff uh, that you're into, uh, you know, sounds right up my alley. And that's that's the reason I was so eager to get you onto our podcast and be able to talk with you a little bit, because when I saw the Kickstarter and I started reading a little bit about it, um, I don't know, I stumbled across it by accident, but I'm glad I did. And uh, I think I stumbled across it actually the first day it went live. And I said to Matt, I got to have this guy on the show. This game just looks phenomenal. And this looks like something that uh, I really hope it gets backed because we're, you know, it's right up my alley. It's, it's something that um, drives me to, to play. I love playing games like this. I love games that do something different, something that's, as you mentioned, that's not so standard for the industry and, and is willing to take a risk. Uh, and I think the fact that you got funded so quickly, I think there's a lot of people out there who see that too. Um, and I think I saw you, and this might've been, I, I think I recall you tweeted out about uh, Vita fan base too, being a rabid fan base. Or maybe you might have commented, I think, on the on the campaign itself with somebody. Um, but I think that that's also a big driving point for me and the other 10 people who own a Vita. Uh, <laughs> you know, is 
is uh, we love we love having those those smaller games and those games that we can we can play on there. And so uh, I'm I'm super excited. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited too. I mean, I think this looks. It's not exactly my bag, but I <laughs> but like you said, like you know, give them something to you know, and like show them right. You know what I mean? Like I I'm not I wasn't that big of a fan of of near. Uh, automata but um you know after i played the demo i was like yeah it's not really for me and then rob just kept like dude this is really awesome you gotta play this you gotta play this you know play through it once or you know play through it twice play through it three times because that's where it really gets going and really like you know you really kind of delve into what's going on so yeah i mean it'll be an, i feel like it'll be an exciting game to play for sure well uh, thank you very much i i you know very kind words and i, I really appreciate it it's one of those uh one of those things where when we got funded it, it's I didn't want to, I, I slept immediately for about uh, two days <laughs> because, and I wasn't even that tired. I just slept. I was just like, I, I don't even know how to take this. It was, it was really uplifting. And uh, I really appreciate the kind words and I appreciate everybody that's uh, backed already. Cause it's, uh, it's one of those things when you, when you can't convince a studio to hire you and you go, but people want what I want or what I'm making. And, and it's really, um, it's heavy. It's a, it's a good, yeah. good heavy, but it's heavy. And it's, you go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure each and every one of these people knows that, I'm, I'm making this not just because I want to, but for you guys to to enjoy. So uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, I can I can tease one one extra thing. Ooh. If if we get so the forty thousand dollars stretch goal um, is I think that's our last one, right? I, I think saw, I, yeah, I think you, yeah. And then after that, it's kind yeah. Of the, the, so the forty thousand stretch goal is is Japan nineteen seventy five, and uh, if we hit that something awesome happens and I, I, I just, I can't say what, but I let's push that. <laughs> if, yeah, if everybody absolutely. can help us get to that stretch goal, it's not about, again, I'm, I'm not going to get much of a paycheck from this until we start selling the game. So this is not about filling my pockets yet. It's about me making something so freaking cool that I I'm like, really, I've been, that's like been my goal. So if, if we, if you know, you guys share it out, if, if you've backed it already, share it with all your friends. If you, you, you won't want us to miss that, that stretch goal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really do encourage everybody to check this out. Um, that, that listens to this and, and, you know, even if you've checked out the, or, or already pledged to it, you know, this is still great to listen to get an idea of where Ben's taking this. Uh, Ben, I do have one request though. Absolutely. And Matt probably knows what it is. If, <laughs> if you get to the trophies, play, yes. If you get to the PlayStation, <laughs> element we need a platinum trophy because i can't i i just have a real issue with a game that doesn't have a platinum trophy i i can say i have no idea how it works but that is absolutely <laughs> something that i intend to put in because it's just like i thought it was just something that you do anyway like i i agree <laughs> I, right? i've never gotten a platinum trophy legitimately i've i have a couple hundred games i've never gotten one. Oh wow i but it was not something, in, but I was, I was like, yeah, I have to do trophies and there's going to be trophies for like stupid things too. So it'll be like getting that platinum will be an exercise in, in annoyance <laughs> for some, for a couple of them. So en- enjoy I'm that. Fine yes, that. There be there's a platinum. Believe me, Rob loves those kind of annoyances. He loves getting through that. I do. Well, I'll add a couple extra just for you then. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my only request because I I play all types of in, independent games. I play everything on my PlayStation, but Matt knows from this podcast every week that when we look at some of the trophies for some of the games, I will gripe if it does not have a platinum because if you're gonna make me earn stuff, I want that shiny extra one that says I did everything. You know, right. I, I, e- easy enough. The, I will. <laughs> I have no idea how it works, but we will figure it out, and, and I will absolutely put a, tra- a platinum in there. That's all. That's all we need. 
That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, um, this has been, uh, you know, a conversation with developer here, uh, Ben Whittleson. And uh, this is for his game Project Sense, a cyberpunk story. We appreciate you guys stopping by and listening. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Uh, that wraps that up, Matt. Uh, pretty good stuff, I think. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, I learned a lot from that, uh, which is pretty uh, interesting to kind of go through like that that genre for me. Because again, I'm not like super into the horror stuff, but I mean, it, it looks amazing. Because it scares and, you. Yeah. Hi. Right, yeah. I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to games. Uh, I mean, I can deal with horror movies or whatever. I've, you know, seen them, you know, I used to work in a movie theater. I've seen them a bunch, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, when you're actually like controlling the character, it's, it's a lot different. Yeah. And so guys, if, if you really need to go check this out, if you haven't already, if you're listening to this and you've already backed it uh, up your pledge, cause Ben really deserves it. Uh, he gave us a few goodies. We won't spoil, but uh, let's just say that he's got a lot of stuff in the pipeline for you. And so the more you can back this, uh, the more you're going to get out of it. I promise it's going to go a long way. And so, uh, it is project sense. It is a cyberpunk ghost story, a two and a half D cyberpunk horror game that he says is inspired by fatal frame and clock tower. You can't go wrong with there that there with a story that mixes technology and Cantonese traditions It is probably the only, and again, he's offered this during the interview, correct us if we're wrong, but probably the only cyberpunk horror game out there. Uh, you can't get much better than that. So, uh, definitely head over to Kickstarter. Uh, you can find that in the link to our YouTube. Uh, you can find it in our SoundCloud, our uh, all our different uh, our Patreon links as well. So stop over there, follow us on there too. Uh, if you want to drop a dollar away, that's great. Uh, if you're an indie developer and you want to kind of check us out, head over to our Patreon, listen to our past interviews. Uh, we've got lots of good stuff coming down the pipeline, so we really want to uh, make it the best you can. So anything you donate towards us also helps us get more developers on the show and uh maybe some voice actors and, and maybe even some big publishers eventually too yeah definitely i mean uh i mean as of this recording he's only what a little over 800 dollars away from the stretch goal of uh being on ps4 and uh ps vita uh, ps vita digital so uh i mean vita, so you can't close. Go there's like what i mean as of this recording three weeks left on his uh on his uh time limit uh, I mean, at least help them get there because that's that's awesome to have to be uh, to be able to be on to uh, PlayStation. Yeah, listen, guys, Vita. Okay, they don't even make games for the Vita anymore. Get the he promised us a platinum trophy too, or that he would look into it. All right, go back to this damn game. I'm telling you. I love how I'm like PS4, and Rob's like Vita. Please, I need another game for Vita. I'm tired of playing Deadbolt. I love it, but I need a new Vita game. Damn it. All right, guys. Uh, Dang a romp is only going to last me so long. So uh, <laughs> thanks again to Ben for stopping by. We're going to have him again when the thanks, game ben. comes out. So thanks again, Ben. Until next time, guys, game on. Game on. This is the spooky outro music. It's spooky because of a horror genre. Woo! <laughs> that was the best one yet.